We got a couple of announcements uh, to make. Um, the 19th and the 20th, uh, which is a Tuesday and a Wednesday of not this coming week, but the following week, May 19th and 20th, we will not be having our women's Bible study on Tuesday and our uh, uh, regular Bible study on Wednesday, the 19th and the 20th. So write that down. Um, our first official Sunday back doing live services uh, for, for Berean Calvary Chapel is going to be May 31st. We're going to have both of our, our public services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. <clears throat> and if you're wondering how the heck we managed to, to pull that off or why we're pulling that off, uh, my father has been harassing and haranguing all of our public officials uh, for about four weeks now and calling their offices and talking to the senators and talking to uh, congressmen and calling the governor's office and asking them when, 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 when. So um, he received an email saying that they were not going to be enforcing uh, churches not meeting after the 15th uh, of May. So we figured we'd give it a little extra time. Uh, after that, and we're going to meet together on May 31st. And then the following week after that, which is June 7th, uh, we are going to be having a, a picnic after our second service outside. Uh, so if you'd like to join us for that, we would love to have you. Um, for those of you uh, who won't be able to attend or still won't be comfortable attending, we are still going to be doing our services on, on uh, YouTube and also on Facebook, Okay. So that is the announcements for this week. If you want to open your Bibles with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 18, uh, we got about as far as verse 19 <clears throat> last week. So that's where we're going to pick up. But first, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we're so thankful, Lord, for uh, the salvation, Lord, that you won for us. Uh, by your own right hand through your son, Jesus Christ. We're so thankful for his willing sacrifice, Lord, to lay down his life uh, for us, Lord. And we're so thankful for the faith that you've given us um, that for some reason we were inclined to call upon his name and to receive him as our Lord and Savior. We pray for all of our friends and our family members who may not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we ask, Lord, that you would help them to see um, your glory and your grace, Father, and the great love that you have for them, <clears throat> and they could be brought into the family with us, Lord. We help to, pray that you would help us to be salt and light, Lord, in this world, that we would be good examples of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, Lord, not in our perfection, uh, Lord, but in our love and in our desire to serve you. We ask, Lord, that you would cover these verses uh, with us, Father. We pray that you would help us to be instructed by them, Lord. We pray that you would speak right directly into each individual heart, uh, Lord, and show each person, Lord, something uh, specific for them, Lord, from your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Amen. So, Numbers chapter 18, what we've been going over here is the priesthood in regards to uh, what Aaron and the Levites' payment was, uh, what it was that they were able to extract from the sacrifices that was theirs for their provision. As we're going to get to uh, here in a few verses, God was going to expressly tell Aaron and the entire tribe of, of Levi that they had no inheritance except for the Lord. The Lord was to be their inheritance. When they went into the promised land, all of the tribes had different portions of land that were given to them, <clears throat> that were granted to them by the Lord as a perpetual gift 
uh, amongst the tribes and the entire nation of Israel forever. It was a perpetual gift forever. So anytime you hear Christians talking about the land of Israel as it stands today, which is, of course, always hotly contested, uh, specific parts of it, uh, you may hear a Christian say, or a Bible uh, student say, the land belongs to the nation of Israel. Well, the reason that we say that the land belongs to the nation of Israel is because God says the land belongs to the nation of Israel. He's the one that gave that to them. Nobody can take it away from them, and they can't give it away because it was given to them by God, which is a wonderful thing for us as Christians to remember because what that means is God being the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, when he gives us a gift... It is perpetual. It is for all time. That means that nobody can take it away from you, and you can't give it away. That's a beautiful thing for us to remember as believers in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> but we got as far as verse 19 last week, and that's where we're going to pick up. And God here says to Aaron through Moses that all of the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and to your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. Now, what God was specifically talking about here is the heave offering would be this offering that the children of Israel would bring before the Lord. And the heave offering, the whole idea of it was all of the things that God had blessed an individual with or blessed a family with, they were to bring a sacrifice from that blessing before the tabernacle of God and offer it up as a heave offering. It literally uh, was, a, was a worshiper coming before God and saying, here, here is just a small portion back of all that you've blessed me with. This wasn't about atonement of sin. This was about fellowship. This was about simply being thankful for what God had done. And those heave offerings, <clears throat> which the children of Israel were to offer to the Lord, were given to Aaron and his sons for their sustenance. And I love it where God says here, it is a covenant of salt forever. Now, uh, you may have been to a wedding at some point in time where they've done this, what, what's called a salt ceremony. And the whole idea of salt uh, is that it has a per, uh, preserving effect. It lasts. Uh, you know, before refrigeration, salt is what was used to keep meat from going bad. And we still have cured meats and use salt in, in, in different aspects of, of preparing meats and keeping meats, dehydrating it, and things of that nature. But salt, the whole picture of salt is, is uh, a, it has a preserving effect. It's something that is a lasting thing. And notice what God says, a covenant of salt forever before the Lord. <clears throat> Interestingly enough, we find another covenant of salt uh, in the scripture, and that is to the lineage of King David. Now, if you recall, fast forwarding many years uh, after the children of Israel come into the land through the years of the judges and the prophets and all of these things, and then when we get into the age of the kings, the second king, of course, is King David, the same David that kills Goliath and becomes the great king of Israel, and God establishes David's throne, and he's so pleased with David because the Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. David is a man who loved the Lord. If you've ever read through the Psalms or any part of the Psalms, it is so evident that David was just a man who loved the Lord and had a real relationship with the Lord, even though he was a very imperfect individual. And God, in the Word, makes a salt covenant with David's descendants, uh, reiterating the fact that from his lineage, the Messiah would come. 
And so those are the two salt covenants that we find in Scripture. The salt covenant made with the Aaronic priesthood and the salt covenant made with the Davidic line. So interestingly enough, if we skip forward into the New Testament and we're reading through the book of Hebrews, we know that Jesus Christ is called our prophet, our priest, and our king. He is the establishment. Jesus is the fulfillment, rather. He is the fulfillment of the priesthood, and he is the Messiah of the Davidic line. Uh, and so he is a product of those salt covenants. And I love that because when you put that alongside the fact that Jesus told us, you are the salt of the earth that you are the salt of the earth. It's no mistake that these covenants were made by God through the Aaronic line, the priesthood, and through the Davidic line to the Messiah, that he made salt covenants with them. And then that Jesus turns around and says to, the, to his followers, you are the salt of the earth. That we are supposed to be that preserving effect in the earth. We are supposed to be that thing that brings savor, that thing that brings life, that thing that preserves the things that God has given us. Uh, it's very interesting, that salt covenant. <clears throat> Verse 20, then the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. And here it is. God says, I am your portion and your inheritance amongst the children of Israel. Now, this is a very, very fascinating uh, point, and it's a, it's a very unique thing that God does only with the tribe of Levi, only with this priestly uh, tribe. This was the tribe that was to have the family that served as priests through, through Aaron's family, but all of the other tribes, uh, or excuse me, families from the tribe of Levi had some inheritance in the serving before the Lord in the tabernacle and then in the temple. And God specifically says to them, you are going to be the tribe that serves me, that stands in the gap between me and the people through the temple worship, tabernacle worship, and then temple worship through the sacrificial system. And this is the deal between you and I. I am to be your inheritance. I am to be your inheritance. The inheritance that you look for, the possession that you look for in this world, being a servant of mine on behalf of the people... Your possession is me. Your possession, your treasure, your inheritance is me. This is what God wants from the hearts of the tribe of the of the people of the tribe of Levi. And I think that this goes straight forward into into today's day and age when it when it when it pertains to uh, pastors, ministers, anybody who's been called of God to a specific ministry. I believe that this same idea. This same idea perseveres to this day, that he is to be, of course, God would like this to be the case with everybody, right? He says that we're a kingdom of priests, but specifically when it comes to pastors and evangelists and people who are used in some specific ministry, I think that this is a very important uh, concept that every single person who serves should have, that the Lord is my inheritance, the Lord is my inheritance. You shouldn't have people of God. You shouldn't have servants of God. You shouldn't have people who are called by God to minister to his people seeking an inheritance any other place, seeking after the treasures of this world. We're going to get a little more into that. In verse 21, he says, Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, God is going to later establish 
uh, that the tithes of the children of Israel that went into the tabernacle, that was the payment for the tribe of Levi. All those who served, all those who were of the tribe of Levi, that was their payment. It wasn't through farming the land. It wasn't through cattle and herds and any other thing. It was directly from the tithes of the people. That's where they were taken care of and provided for. Now, in verse 22, this is interesting. God says, hereafter, so this is a new thing. This is a new thing that God is establishing here in this portion of Numbers. He says, hereafter, the children of Israel shall not come near the tabernacle of meeting, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. So where God here says, hereafter the children of Israel shall not come near the tabernacle of meeting lest they bear sin and die. Man, when I, when I read this portion, it, I can't help it, it makes me sad. It makes me sad, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll explain why. Um, in Exodus chapter 33, now if you remember, this is right after the golden calf incident. This is right after the children of Israel, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai receiving the law and the Ten Commandments, And, of course, the children of Israel, as we know, fell into uh, complete debasement. They completely turned away. They said, as for Moses, we don't even know what's happened to him. And so they commanded Aaron to make them a molded image. And so Aaron makes for them this golden calf. We all know the story. And they begin to worship it. And right after that whole situation that went down, Moses comes down off the hill. He sees what's happening. God's judgment comes upon the people. Right after that, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 7, it says this, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. Now, this is before the official tabernacle was set up. Uh, This is what happened. Moses took his tent and set it up far away from the camp and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And listen to what it says. It came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. At that point in time, anybody had the ability to go out to what was established then as the tabernacle of meeting and seek the face of the Lord. Interestingly enough, in that portion, it says that Joshua never left the tabernacle of meeting. Joshua was this man who just had this heart for the Lord, which is why God chose him to lead them into the promised land. But he had this heart to just stay in the tabernacle of meeting, that was, that was the result of everything that had happened with him being up on the mountain with Moses, seeing the law given, seeing God give Moses the Ten Commandments and the rest of the written law, and then to come down and see the children of Israel <clears throat> already given over to idolatry. They haven't even received the law yet, and they've already turned away from God and are worshiping this golden calf. And all of this commotion takes place because of it. And judgment comes from God. Remember, Moses breaks the tablets of the Ten Commandments. And there's this whole thing where he draws a line in the sand. He said, whoever's on the Lord's side, come over with me on this side of the line. That's where that that euphemism comes from, where people say, I got to draw a line in the sand. That's where that comes from. And the Levites, the tribe of Levi, they were the ones that came on the other side of the line with Moses and stood with God. That's why they were called and chosen for the priesthood. Uh, but right after that, there's this opportunity that's given. After all of this sin and all of this wickedness and all of this judgment, there's this opportunity that's given. If you want to just seek the Lord's face, 
you can go to the tabernacle of meeting. And the Bible says Joshua went there and never left. <laughs> he just stayed there for days and days on end. He wasn't even guilty of committing the sin of idolatry. But he so wanted to be on the side of God. He so wanted to have God's presence in his life that it says he went out there and he remained there. And it's a sad thing for me, after all of the rebellion uh, and all of the uprisings of the children of Israel against Moses, against Aaron, that now, with this final establishment uh, of the priesthood here in the tabernacle worship, hereafter, they can't come near the tabernacle anymore, lest they die. Only the Levites. Finally, when the law was firmly established and initiated and set into place, there is this clear and stark division between the priesthood and the regular people. If you want to come to God, you have to go through the priest. You have to bring your sacrifices to the priest. You have to do that. Now, when the temple was built, if you recall, there's this veil that was put up. And it was in the tabernacle as well, but in the temple it was much larger. And it was this veil that was put up between the holy place where the menorah and the table of showbread and the altar of incense was. <clears throat> and there was a dividing curtain between that place and the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, the Ark of the Testimony. And it was a separation that was given. Then there was another separation outside, the inner court from the outer court. And then there was the court of women. There was all of these divisions and all of these separations. And of course, no one could draw near the actual temple except the Levites. And no one could go into the holy place except the high priest. And that was only once a year that he could go into the most holy place. And if you recall, when Jesus Christ died, when he said, it is finished... It says the sky turned dark and there was an earthquake and it says that the veil in the temple was torn in half from top to bottom. And can you imagine being a priest and being in the temple at that point in time and hearing all of this commotion and looking in and seeing that the veil had been completely torn in half. Some people say that that veil was, was up to 18 inches thick. That's how thick and heavy that curtain was. And it was ripped in half from top to, I say 18, I think it's eight inches, sorry. And from top to bottom. And what was God saying through that sign? What he was saying was, there is no more separation. This verse here, this sad verse in 22, hereafter, the children of Israel shall not come near the tabernacle of meeting lest they bear sin and die. That was taken away by the blood of Jesus Christ. His sacrifice on the cross has removed any boundaries, has removed any division, anything that would separate you from a relationship with God has been taken out of the way through Jesus Christ. And you don't need me or anybody else in your life to bring you to God. There's no human being that you must go through in order to come to God. You can go directly through God because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. In his name, that's why when we pray, we say, in Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus, because it is by Jesus Christ that we can go before the throne, that we can enter into the presence of our heavenly Father. Verse 23, but the Levites shall perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be, a, that means they're responsible. We talked a little bit about this last week. They are responsible for all of these laws and all of these statutes concerning the tabernacle of meeting. 
all of these warnings given, the Levites were responsible to make sure that these things were observed. Because if somebody who came in or came around the tabernacle and did something that, within the tabernacle that they were not supposed to be doing, they would be punished by God. But not only them, the Levite would be punished by God as well. They were responsible. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. For the tithes of the children of Israel which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore I have said to them, among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. So again, God is reiterating the fact that the tribe of Levi, who served before the tabernacle, they have no inheritance amongst the children of Israel. They weren't given any land. Their inheritance was the Lord. And the work of the tabernacle of being a go-between between the people and God was their business. And their livelihood was to be made because of that. Interestingly, God goes on, though, and he has something interesting to say about the Levites and the, and the offerings that they receive. Speak thus to the Levites and say to them, when you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you for, uh, from them as your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering of it to the Lord, a tenth of the tithe. And your heave offering shall be reckoned to you as though it were a grain of the threshing floor and as the fullness of the wine press. In other words, God is saying to them, because you have no groves, because you have no fields, to labor in and grow wheat in because you have no flocks, because I'm your inheritance and your work is the, ta is the tabernacle. When you are given, when these heave offerings are given by the people to the tabernacle and worship to God, and you take a tithe, you take those heave offerings, those belong to you, then your tithe to me, God says, is a tenth of what you receive from the people's tithe, okay? So the people were to give their tithes, the people were to offer their sacrifices, and from that, the Levites were to give their tithe as well. And what God is saying here is, it'll be in my eyes just as though it was, was from the grain that you grew in your own field or something that came from your own vineyard. That's how I'm going to see it. Verse 27, your heave offering shall be reckoned to you as though it were a grain of the threshing floor and as of the fullness of the wine press. Thus you shall also offer a heave offering to the Lord from all your tithes which you receive from the children of Israel. Here it is. And you shall give the Lord's heave offering from it to Aaron the priest. Now listen to what he goes on to say. Of all your gifts, you shall offer up every heave offering due to the Lord from all the best of them, the consecrated part of them. Therefore, you shall say to them, when you have lifted up the best of it, then the rest shall be accounted to the Levites as the produce of the threshing floor and as the produce of the wine press. You may eat it in any place you and your households, for it is your reward for your work in the tabernacle of meeting. And you shall bear no sin because of it when you have lifted up the best of it. But you shall not profane the holy gifts of the children of Israel, lest you die. Wow. Serious business. God is telling the Levites now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. 
of all of the tithes and all of the heave offerings that the children of Israel give, you are to take that as your payment. You are to take that. That is yours. That is to provide for you and your family. But before you think about doing anything of which I'm giving you first, you need to take a tenth of what you receive, the very best of it. Not just, not just any of it. Not just a certain whatever reach in with a blindfold on. The very best of what you have. The very best of what I've given you, of what I'm blessing you with because of the ministry that you're doing on my behalf. The very best of it, I want you to tithe to Aaron and his family. I want you to give to Aaron and his family. What God was saying to the Levites is, <laughs> and what he was trying to prevent was any kind of greediness. God wanted to stomp that out right at its inception when he's putting all of this priesthood and all of these things, this services into practice right from the onset. I want to make sure that your inheritance is me. I want to make sure that you're not becoming a greedy person. If you remember, uh, if we fast forward into the times uh, of the judges, when you have Eli, who is the high priest, and he has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas are their names. And this is when Samuel, the prophet, is, is, is growing up and coming up into his ministry. And Hophni and Phinehas are these two profane individuals, sons of Eli, the high priest. And when they were taking these tithes and these offerings from the people, they would stand out there and they would bully the people. And when the people offered something, they would say, I want that, I want that, I want that. It was no longer a free will offering. They were making demands of the people. And then they would take the very best of that for themselves. They were greedy. They were using the priesthood as a way to gain for themselves. And God judged them for that. He told Eli, if you don't put a stop to your sons, I'm going to put a stop to it. And God was very, very concerned about the people of God who served in the tabernacle that they would not be greedy and that they would not be looking to take advantage of people. And I think that that's an important point for us to remember in the day and age that we live in. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Now, this is, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing a letter to Timothy who he had groomed in the ministry. Timothy had gotten saved under Paul's ministry, and Paul had seen in Timothy that he had these gifts and that God was calling him to the ministry, and Paul had personally groomed Timothy to be this pastor. And Pat, Timothy was a young, a young pastor, and so Paul wrote him these letters concerning the conduct of the church, the administration of the church, but this is what he wrote to him concerning uh, the ordination of, of bishops and deacons. In verse, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, it says this, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, it says this, likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine. And here it is, not greedy for money. Second Peter chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3 says this, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers amongst you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. That would be anything that's extra-biblical, guys. 
What, what God consider, considers a destructive heresy would be something that is extra biblical. That would be something that goes against what the scripture teaches. Even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Now, how do you deny the Lord who bought them? That would be in the administration of their ministry. That would be telling people or giving people a gospel other than the one that they received from the word of God. You got to understand, anybody out there who's teaching a gospel that is different from what was given by Jesus Christ to the disciples, and then by the disciples who became the apostles to the church that is written in the word of God, These, this is our doctrine. This is our belief system. It all comes from the Bible. That is why it is so important that we know it and understand it. That is why it says of itself that it is important that we become students of the word of God, that we're able to rightly divide it, and we're able to spot false doctrines. It's so important because Peter was saying it here. False teachers are going to come into the church, and they're going to deny the Lord that bought them. And by, by that, what he means is they're going to preach a gospel other than the one. There's going to be Jesus plus, Jesus plus, or he's not the only way. And there's going to be some sort of doctrine that they lay out. And here's what it says. Many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words, for a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. I think that we have had a problem in the church, in this country, and in other parts of the world, but primarily I think in this country, we have had a real problem with a teaching that has crept into the church that God wants you to be wealthy that God wants you to have wealth and God wants you to be healthy. That is his plan. That is what God wants for all who are his. It's called a prosperity doctrine. And usually you find it around teachers who are lavishly dressed and teachers who like to pass that offering plate around again and again and again and constantly be talking about money and constantly be talking about giving and putting pressure on their people to give, to give, to give, to give. And you can see it in their lifestyle. You don't have to name any names. You've got eyes to see. You can see it for yourself. This is never what God intended. This is never. Everything that God has to say about money insinuates that it is a wonderful servant and a terrible master. The Bible is very clear about the fact that you cannot serve both God and money. And it says that people who have a love of money have been ensnared have been pierced through with many sorrows. The Bible says that not that money is the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And what's happened in the church today is that people have been tricked, been deceived into thinking that if they're a child of God, if they're a follower of Jesus Christ, then he wants them to be wealthy, then he wants them to be healthy. And so many have become discouraged because if they don't have health or they don't have wealth, they believe it's because they have some sort of lacking of faith in their life. And nothing could be further from the truth. Show me the rich apostle who wasn't martyred for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't preach the prosperity gospel in China. It doesn't work too well there. You can't preach it in Iran 
where people are being burned up, where people are being beheaded and all of their possessions confiscated, as is what happened in the first century church amongst the children of God who believed in this word. You can't preach that gospel in parts of Africa where they're being pursued and killed for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they will not deny him though it costs them their lives. The prosperity gospel only works in a greedy culture, in a greedy society where people want stuff and people want things. And God can't use that stuff. God can't use that stuff in regards to greed and covetousness. Now listen, let me be very, very clear here. If God has blessed you in your life with finances, praise the Lord. Okay, If God has given you an ability to earn money and God has given you an ability to work with money and he has blessed you and blessed your home and blessed your family and you have money, praise the Lord. That is not something to, be, to feel guilty about or bad about. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with the fact that we're Americans and we live in this country where even those of us who would be considered on the low end of income really, in comparison with the rest of the world, live a lavish lifestyle. I mean, even those of us who don't have a lot of money, we got a car, we got a house with heat and a roof over our head and plenty of food. We sit in front of the TV. I mean, it's like we've got all of this luxury and all of this comfort. And I don't ever feel bad about being born in the time that I was born or being born in the place that I was born. I thank God for it. I'm so grateful for the wonderful life that I have. And everybody out here listening, you should be too. There's nothing wrong with that. Here's what's wrong. Here's what's wrong. The pursuing of it. The forsaking of the things of God in place of pursuing the things of this world. And the Bible is very clear, is that money is one of the slipperiest slopes you can slide on. You start seeking after money, you start seeking after things, it's going to shipwreck you. It's going to sidetrack you. If God has blessed you, praise the Lord. Use the things that he's blessed you with to serve him. This is why God wanted this, the tribe of Levi to get to take the very best of what they were given in the heave offerings from the children of Israel and to give it away to Aaron and his family because he didn't want them to be greedy. Instead, he, he wanted them to themselves have a heart of service and a, heart of, uh, and a mindset of, hey, God, thank you for blessing me with this. Let me take the very best of what you've given me and give it away. Because what fulfills me, what makes me a blessed person, is not the things that I have, but the one who blessed me with it. That's what makes us a blessed, a blessed nation. That's what makes a person a blessed person or a blessed home. I love the verse that says, godliness with contentment is great gain. I'll tell you what, man. If you love the Lord and you have a heart to seek after the Lord, and to know the Lord, and you can be content with what he's blessed you with. Not be seeking, not be chasing, not be struggling after the, after the things of this world, but be content. God, thank you for what you've blessed me with. Thank you for making me who I am. I don't have to be this one. I don't have to be that one. I only need to do the very best with what you've blessed me with. Man, that is contentment right there. That is joy. Would be to God that we could be all of us like that in our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we ask, Lord, that you would help us to uh, learn the lesson, Lord, of Aaron uh, and of the tribe of Levi, Father, and that our hearts 
uh, would seek to be belonging to you, Lord, that you would be our inheritance as well. Uh, Lord, that we would be content with the things you've blessed us with, Lord, and always be looking to give, Lord, and not to take. We pray, Father, that you would remove covetousness and greed from uh, our hearts, Lord, and, and from the hearts of um, the church, Lord, that you would um, change the, the culture, Father, uh, that has taught people that if we're Christians, life is supposed to be perfect or life is supposed to be wonderful and things are always supposed to go our way, Lord. We pray that you would help us to see and understand that we've been called to serve people, Lord, uh, and we shouldn't be ever lifted up above them, uh, but we should be among them, just as your son, Jesus Christ, made himself a man of no reputation. Lord, we ask and pray that you would bless uh, the words that you've given us to read this morning, Father, and to teach. We pray, Father, that you'd be with our second service as well. Uh, Lord, and we're grateful and we're thankful for all that you've done in our lives, for what you've blessed us with, Father. We pray that you would be with us in every way. We pray, Lord, that you would draw us closer to your kingdom and closer to your heart day after day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.